Hi folks, Jason Crane here reminding you about the 100 by 300 campaign. The idea is to get 100 members by the 300th show. Membership is easy. You can do it in one lump sum each year or month to month for as little as 10 bucks a month or $110 a year. If you choose one of the higher levels, particularly the $500 a year or $50 a month level, you'll be mentioned on every single show. You'll be an official sponsor of the Jazz Session. The 100 by 300 campaign. Visit thejazzsession.com slash join to become a member today. Once again, that's thejazzsession.com slash join. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of this show is available for free at TheJazzSession.com. And if you go to TheJazzSession.com, you'll see along the left-hand side of the page, there's an index, last name first, of everybody who's ever been on the show. So if you are wondering who all the guests have been, if you think there are episodes you missed, if there are particular people you'd like to hear again, it's very easy for you to do that. Just go to thejazzsession.com and uh, scroll through the guest list. While you're there, he said, segueing into the membership section, uh, while you're there, you may want to consider becoming a member. Uh, thejazzsession.com slash join is the direct link, but if you just go to thejazzsession.com, you'll see the membership uh, logos all over the place. And if you become a member, you can do it for as little as $10 a month or $110 a year, and then on up to uh, $25 a month, $50 a month, and then $250 a year, $500 a year. And there are various ways of saying thank you at those levels, and there's going to be some uh, members-only content coming up pretty soon. You'll still get the two episodes a week for free, whether you become a member or not, but I'm going to be recording some additional material. Uh, and probably coming up with some other ideas, too, uh, for members only. But even more important than that, uh, I've been doing the show for almost four years now based you know, primarily on my looks. <laughs> and uh, I think, really, that that capital is about to run out. So if you would like to keep the jazz session uh, coming to you in the years ahead, uh, please do become a member. My guest today is the pianist and composer Lynn Ariel. She has a new CD called Convergence, and uh, it's got a, just a fantastic band on this record. Omar Avital on bass, Anthony Pinciotti on drums, and Bill McHenry on tenor saxophone. And it just, it just lets go right out of the gate with Lynn's composition, Elements.
My guest is composer and pianist Lynn Ariel. She has a new CD called Convergence on Motema Music. And uh, Lynn, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. This uh, I really dig this CD. I've uh, I've heard it uh, quite a number of times now, and it, it really just explodes out of the gate. And the, the very first thing that it pointed out to me was that I need to know uh, Anthony Pinciotti's work better than I do, because I'm, I'm really impressed with him on this record. And could you talk a little bit? I know you guys have obviously worked together before, just a little bit about how yeah. you got together with Anthony. Well, um, I um, had a trio for many years, and at a certain point I decided to go in a different direction, and I went to New York and um, played with about 20 different drummers over the course of over two visits. And he was one of the people that was recommended to me. And I knew instantly that we would get along great musically because he instinctively would kind of answer my phrases and we had a musical dialogue going on right away. And that's something that's very important to me, um, to have a constant musical conversation going on. And plus, I, I felt something very unique in his playing that, that is kind of an intangible quality, but it, it's, it was very vivid to me that he has no ego when he's playing. And that's, you know, that's not something you necessarily cultivate, but there's an openness. It, it feels like the music can go in any direction. I never feel like I'm being pushed into any direction, and yet he doesn't uh, play as just an accompanist. He's definitely a very powerful voice in, in the group. Uh, he has tremendous energy and um, versatility. And he's just great to hang with. I mean, he's just a great guy on all levels. He's, he's, he's one of the sweetest people and most genuine people I know. And I think that comes through in the music. Many people talk about the relationship of bassists and drummers, but the the piano, in addition to being a melodic and harmonic instrument, is also an inherently percussive instrument. And so I'm always really curious about the relationship between a, a pianist and a drummer, because you're, in many ways, occupying a lot of the same, uh, or could be occupying a lot of the same rhythmic space or territory. How do you, with Anthony or with any other drummer, kind of navigate uh, whose role is, is which, at which point in the music, if that makes sense? Well... It has to do with the conversation. Just like you and I are, are, are talking, we're, we're talking about a, a, a subject, and um, everything you are saying is impacting what what, what my response is, and um, my response might have an influence on what your next question is, or what what thoughts or, or certain thoughts might might manifest as a result of what I'm saying. The same thing is happening in music. And if people are open to that and are listening and responding and also leaving enough space for the other people to respond, then a conversation can be very natural. But often when musicians are playing, um, I kind of have a a phrase that I use, um, they're just doing their stuff. They're just playing what they know as opposed to listening and saying, gee, what's this dynamic going to be And, and being open to the possibilities of where the music can go. Does that kind of answer the question? Yeah, I think it does, and it, it uh, as you uh, foresaw, it leads to another, which is, um, does the choice of, of repertoire, uh, ha- or maybe a better question, a more open question is, how do you push people out of, of course you look for people who don't just play what they know, but everyone comes with some amount of baggage. How do you uh, find ways to, to push people out of that in the studio or to create a space where people feel comfortable playing outside what they might just fall back on. Mm-hmm. 
in the situations that I've been in over my life um, in music where I've noticed that there is um, that dynamic that you're referring to where there, people are kind of playing their own stuff, obviously if, it's, if I'm a side man or side person, I don't say a word <laughs> because it's not my gig. However, if it is my gig, which it usually is, because I'm, I'm most of the time I'm playing with my my group, and and if, if I would be playing with someone else, for example, I would probably tell them if if I if I noticed that I would probably tell them right away, you know, I'm actually leaving space for you to finish my phrases, and. Um, I remember doing that when I got together with a bunch of drummers in New York because they were playing. They were all great players. But I purposely, I wanted them to, to, you know, I wanted to mesh with them as quickly as possible. So I wasn't trying to play a game with them and say, gee, are they going to get it? I wanted to make it easy for them. And so I said, I, I'm leaving space, so please finish my phrases, not necessarily with another huge phrase. It could be like a comma. It, and um, that way, you know, they're not necessarily incredibly active in the middle of the phrase that I might be playing. You don't you don't crash into it one another that way. And there's some people who 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 might be very uncomfortable if they're told something like that because they're that's totally foreign to them. And others kind of get it right away. But I always try to take a very gentle approach and if it doesn't start to manifest I let it go because it's more important that they feel comfortable in whatever space they're in, and then I impose my aesthetic on them. And that's, you know, first and and foremost, I mean, like the Hippocratic Oath, first and foremost, do no harm to the patient, you know. (laughs) Um, I want to do the same in music. First and foremost, um, don't don't say anything that will shut someone down because that's, that's, um, you haven't gained anything in that way. And I would guess that, like most human interaction, that as the relationship develops over time, that ability to to anticipate, to finish your phrases, to know where and when to contribute would become easier for anyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not just finishing my phrases. I can now, in my musical relationship with Anthony, or with Omer, the bassist, uh, Omer Avital, the bassist that I've been playing with um, in the group, um... I might leave space at the beginning of what might be my phrase and just wait. And they don't they don't get nervous or look at me like what's happened, did Lynn fall off a cliff or what happened to her? They just know that if I'm leaving space that that they can do things. And it doesn't necessarily mean huge musical events. Uh, but they're prepared for that at any moment because space shouldn't be choreographed. It's not like, oh, this is where it goes. But for example, when I'm teaching students, I'm I'm a professor also at, at um, the University of North Florida, Florida, and um, I've worked with students um, in terms of learning how to interact. And um, one of the ways is look for the long notes that either the singer or the saxophone player or the pianist is holding, where, where there's not, where there isn't activity, where there's lack of activity, and that's a point to maybe put a comma or a little phrase in. And if if the um, musician is singing the melody of the song at the same time, they will intuitively kind of feel that.
I've been listening to you now for about the last ten years, maybe, and uh, so therefore I'm you know primarily primarily familiar with you in a, a piano trio setting, which is where you've performed up the last couple of records. Uh, and so I guess I'd, I'd like to know why you decided to to add a horn player to the mix. I just wanted to branch out. Um, I the, the the recording before this one is called Nuance, and it was with Randy Brecker and George Moraz on bass and Anthony Pinciotti on drums. And I was just hearing different sounds, and I played trio so long uh, that I wanted to uh, try this new configuration. And this last record had has Bill McHenry on it, who's tenor sax player, and uh, it's just a different color. And I like exploring different colors. found that it's changed your uh, role, your role inside the group, or your role as a as a band leader uh, to have a, a horn player in the mix? Not really, uh, except that they, they play the melody, and um, I usually have them take the first solo, and so in a sense, it's, it's, it's actually a lot easier to play in a quartet setting than it is in a trio, because in a trio, I have to play the melody al- almost all the time. And um, I shouldn't say have to. I, I, that makes it sound like it's, you know, burden. But uh, I play the melody, and I usually play the first solo. So everything's kind of resting on, on that dynamic. Whereas uh, if a horn player plays the first solo, I've got, I get to listen and comp behind them for a, couple, a bunch of choruses, and I'm inspired right away by what they've done. And they put all this wonderful energy out. And... Um, it's really it's really fun to to respond to that and to create my solo after that. Bill McHenry hasn't been on this show yet, um, which is certainly an oversight on my part because it seems like he's on about every third album that I talk about on this show. Uh, so I guess I'll ask you how you came to uh, to work with Bill. He was recommended to me by uh, Anthony, and and Anthony played a lot had played a lot with Omer and a lot with Bill. And he loved the hookup that they had and the connection. And um, I was asking him for recommendations. And he said, I think this would be a really cool configuration of musical energies. Which it certainly proves to be. And I think it's helped by the the music choices that you've made on this record. There's a number of your own compositions and also some pretty interesting uh, covers, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um can you talk about some of the things you chose that are not your own compositions and not in what we would consider the standard repertoire, which is great? Mm-hmm. Um, Painted Black by the Rolling Stones. Uh, this features Omer doing kind of a, um, 
an, an, an introduction to the tune with a very mid, mid-eastern vibe. And I heard this melody, and I thought that would be great on the bass. And that's actually the first time I had the bass play the melody in all my recordings, but it seemed like such a natural thing, especially with, the, with just the, the open sound. Um, and, um, and then it goes into a, um, a, a kind of a drone uh, where it's, it's, again, heavy Mideastern influence. Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles. I approach that in a little different way. It has, in, in musical terms, it has what we call a pedal tone in, 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 in the bass and in my left hand. But I place the, the melody and then I leave an, un, an, uh, a certain amount of space that was not predetermined. I just kind of waited until I was ready to play the next phrase. And a lot of times that meant there were asymmetrical phrases, like five bar or seven bar phrases. And um, that was kind of fun because nobody knew what was going to happen or when I was going to play the next part of the melody. Um, and a, I'll just jump I, in and say, and a pedal tone, just to jump in on behalf of the listener, is just a, a bass note that does not change while the yeah. harmony changes over it, as you might expect. Yes, thank you. Yep. Uh, Sister Moon by Sting uh, is a wonderful song and very smoky, um, kind of bluesy quality. Uh, Call Me, which was recorded by Blondie. And this is done in a kind of a deep, medium groove and uh, uh, very different than what's on the record. And, and I have moving harmonies in my right hand, so, so that's kind of changing under what Bill is playing. The Nine Inch Nails tune, Something I Can Never Have, is um, very gothic and dark, and uh, it's a very particular quality that I just... I was drawn to. It's 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 a, just a very dark tune, <laughs> and, and I liked it. Yeah, which and is I weird for a bright, over over bright, cheery band like Nine Inch Nails. Usually, you wouldn't uh, <laughs> you wouldn't think gothic and dark. You think more kind of Sesame <laughs> Street. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh no. It, am I am I nuts or is there an uncredited guitar on here somewhere? It's oud. It's the oud. Oh, the oud. Okay. And 
I'm really embarrassed, and we're we're collectively embarrassed uh, in terms of the six people that proofread all the, the the text for the for the CD. That we just said Omar out of tell base. So my deepest apologies, and but he's playing he's playing the oud, and that's amazing. And I I, I knew about that. That was one of the reasons I I I wanted to work with him because I loved the sound of the oud, and I wrote an original specifically for the oud called Dance of the Rain, where he doesn't play bass, he just plays oud, and um, Anthony plays on a hand drum and cymbals, and little cymbals, which I think were either on his hands or on his ankles, I can't remember. And I was just interested in different different world sounds, and it's a very distinctive sound. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. I love and, it. Um, you know, one thing about the... Um the cover tunes, uh, and I, I really like these versions, but I think what it does is it points out your strength as a composer, because I think your tunes, your own compositions on here really shine, and I think they, for my money, that's because these things are, these compositions are embodiments of who you are as a musician in a way that no one else's compositions can be. I mean, like Elements, which begins the record, it's just it's so incredibly strong and powerful, such a great way to start a record. And it just really, I think, achieves that band sound right from the beginning. I don't mean to put down the other people's music that you cover on here. I just mean to compliment you as a composer and to say I think you've really found a way to write for yourself and for this band. That's so nice. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, I've, I have, I've kind of gone inside my heart and consciousness with trying to find melodies that resonate and I spent a lot of time uh, working with melodies and, and, and making little changes and thinking how does this feel, how does this sound um, and there, there's several different kinds of vibes with, with, the, with, with the tunes that I wrote. One is, is uh, Celtic and that's on Convergence and another is a Mideastern vibe on Here and Now and um, and, a, and another kind of Mideastern, maybe Spanish-influenced um, four-piece. And then a very simple Americana-influenced, um, the simple things. And, um, and I just, I try for very different feels and different kinds of melodies on, on the tunes that I write. Lynn, are there some uh, performances coming up that folks can go see anywhere on the planet Earth? Absolutely. Um, I will pull out my calendar because... Sure. Memory. (laughs) (laughs) February 19th. um, In fact, we just confirmed it today. 
I'm playing at the Melton Mustafa Jazz Festival. It's in Miami. And then in, um, in, in March, we have um, the Jazz Standard in New York on March 16th. Uh, Dazzle in Denver on the 19th and 20th. Um, and then 22nd and 23rd Jazz Alley in Seattle. And the 25th in Alberta, uh, Canada. Wow, you're going to get some frequent flyer miles in March, it sounds like. I will be. My gosh. And then in, in April, uh, we're playing with trio with Randy Brecker as our guest in um, Columbia, Missouri, and doing master classes at the University of Missouri. And that's part of the We Always Swing series in Columbia, Missouri on the 7th of April. And there are more dates forthcoming. Do you try to work in master classes uh, when you go places? Absolutely. Uh, I try to do as much uh, teaching as I can. In fact, I've, I've emailed all the promoters and asked if I could do not only any master classes in, in public schools and the universities, um, and as well as meet the artist programs before the concerts. Uh, that doesn't always work. They don't always want that. But I want to connect with with uh, the audience and with with students in in any way that I possibly can and um, reach out. It sounds like education is not something you do as a just as a means of extra income but something that you're passionate about. Yes, I am. I am. And um and and personal connection is very important. Uh, we play music but but when we actually connect with people by talking with them or telling them about what what we're doing, why we're doing it, and providing examples, uh, they gain greater insight into the music, and they get they get to know us. And I think that's very important. I think this is a time when um, the more connecting we can do with other other people, the better. This is a very challenging time on many levels for for, for many people, and um, so I, I feel that um, not just through teaching, but just just basic connecting with other human beings is, is really critical right now. Lynn, is there anything I haven't asked you about, either related to this record or other topics that you'd like to mention? Um, yes, actually. I, uh, I did mention that I'm a professor at UNF, but it's, it's an incredible jazz program. Funky Green is the uh, head of the jazz program, and we have a phenomenal faculty, and Danny Gottlieb is, is the drummer who's on the faculty, Dennis Marks, who plays with Arturo Sandoval, Barry Green, who's a great guitarist, and others. It's just a wonderful faculty. And uh, I, I run the, uh, the, I'm the director of Small Ensembles, which is the combo program, as well as um, my, private, my private students. And, um, and it's really a wonderful environment to be in, and uh, the students are so receptive, so open, and, and the vibe there is just great. Where is the University of North Florida? Jacksonville, Florida. In Jacksonville. Okay, great. Fantastic. My guest is Lynn Arial. She has a new CD called Convergence with uh, Omer Avital, Anthony Pinciotti, and Bill McHenry. And uh, it's really fantastic, and it's it's great to talk to you, uh, Lynn. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you so much for having me on the show, um, especially for your wonderful questions, which really inspired me and made me think... Um, in, in a different way, and, and I, I appreciate uh, the quality of your questions very much, and, and it was really a pleasure talking with you.
music from Lynn Ariel and her new CD, Convergence, on Motema Music. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. You'll find every episode of this show at thejazzsession.com. You can also subscribe for free in iTunes or using an RSS reader, and the links to do both those things are at thejazzsession.com. The Respect Sextet play the theme music for this program. They've got a bunch of CDs out and a digital release called Farcical Built for Six, and you will find all of those things at respectsextet.com. Go there now. Dave Vrabel designed the Jazz Sessions logo. Thanks, Dave. Thank you for listening. Now get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and then come back here next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.